It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. I would never name my kid Junior. I wouldn't do it. I don't think it's fair. Life's hard enough as it is. You have to work so hard. You have to concentrate on all these different things going around you. Things that everyone deals with. To name someone Junior is an unnecessary stress on that person for better or for worse, whether you intend it or not. People will always compare junior and senior. It's just the fact of life. You can't dodge it. And that shadow, there are, sure, there are some people who prevail, and there are some people who are crippled by it entirely and, and never go anywhere. It's troublesome. Now, there's also times when that shadow is not from being named Junior, but someone is thrown into it by circumstance. For example, maybe you're playing on the same team as the greatest quarterback in the history of football. And that's exactly what Steve Young did. And we're going to go through his journey today and and what it was like being behind the greatest quarterback of all time as he's racking up these accolades and how tough it is to break through. We will go through that journey today on Upon Further Review. Hello and welcome to the show. I am your host, Vince Quinn. And yes, this is a jaw-dropping, stunning journey that Steve Young, a truly unique talent, had to go through. Never been done before. Because again, Steve Young, with the San Francisco 49ers that you remember, has to deal with the greatest quarterback of all time. And before it even gets there, Steve Young has an entirely different issue in his life. It's something that a lot of top prospects deal with. 
being a bust. Oh, yeah, Steve, Steve Young, yes. Oh, he was a bust for a long time. You didn't know that? Oh, boy, do I have a treat for you. Yes. It's one of those things that so many top draft picks go through. You know, it, the draft is such a weird, confusing thing in a way because in the, in the NBA, it's a lottery ball. Decides your fate. It sends you to an entirely different city. In the draft for the NFL, it could be a coin flip. That simple. And the path that you can end up on as a result of that can change your life. Change how the world sees you. And for Steve Young, when he started his career, boy was he in the spotlight. I mean, he was a star quarterback at Brigham Young University. And interesting enough, he's actually like a great, great, great grandson of Brigham Young. So Steve Young is there as a quarterback, and he's there for four years. And the most notable of which is his senior season. Because Steve Young at BYU is phenomenal. I mean, what you're looking for in a college quarterback, he is everything and then some. And let me give you some of the numbers here. Steve Young at Brigham Young, his senior year, completed 71.3% of his passes. NCAA record. He went 11-1. and And... On top of that, he had 33 touchdowns to 10 interceptions, a great ratio, and another 444 rushing yards with eight touchdowns on top of all that. It's a hell of a year. And it was good enough to get him second in the Heisman voting. Not bad. So Steve Young, the highly touted darling quarterback prospect to make his way to the NFL draft in 1984. He's dealing with what all NFL prospects deal with. Who's at the top of the draft? Who's that team that could decide your fate? In Steve Young's case, it's the Cincinnati Bengals. Or so you would think. See, it turns out, and at this time in history, it's, it's a very unique point, because the USFL is a functioning organization, and it is a completely oppositional force to the NFL. And what they've been doing at this time is they're playing by a totally different set of rules. It's a smaller league with owners that are desperate to make a splash. They want to get noticed. And so what they do is they sweep in. The Los Angeles Express of the USFL approached Steve Young as they approached a number of different stars at this time. The guy who actually won the Heisman over Steve Young was swept up by the USFL. So they approach Steve Young and say, hey, well, we know the Cincinnati Bengals are talking to you. They're offering you $3.5 million. How about you join us? What we're going to give you is something, I think it's a little bit more palatable to your tastes, shall we say? How about the tune of $40 million? How does that sound? Certainly going to get your attention, right? So, Steve Young gets offered a contract, and it's a wacky one, because the USFL, again, they're trying to get noticed. But 
they're not an established product. They, they need a lot of work still. They don't have infrastructure built. You know, they don't have stadiums all over the place. It's a brand new league. So while they're working on all these things, they're offering out these gaudy contracts in order to get attention, these headlines in the press. Because that contract, and th- this is unbelievable, Steve Young's contract from the USFL was between 38 to $40 million. It was going to be paid if the USFL continued the way they thought they would. It would pay him for 44 years. 44 years. He would still be getting paid through 2027. That was the structure of the contract that he was offered. It was insane. What really the deal came out to, because most of it was an annuity, it was four years and $6.2 million. Now, that's a lot smaller of a figure, but when you consider that Cincinnati was offering $3.5 million over five years, this was a far better contract. And so the top quarterback prospect shuns the the NFL for the USFL. It's quite the leap, and it doesn't work out well. It's something that makes you wonder, maybe he should have gone to the NFL because he throws uh, 58% completions, 10 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. It's a middling year. The team goes 10-8. and eight. That's his first season in the USFL. The second year, it's a lot worse for Young. He dips down from 58 to 55% completions. He throws 6 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. He's getting sacked all the time. He's running for his life. There's a game where there are so many injuries across the team that they actually decide to put Steve Young in at running back. The guy that's getting paid $40 million to be not only the face of that organization, the LA Express, but sort of the face of the league. That's the biggest contract in football. He's a quarterback. They were just as sexy then as they are now. He's supposed to be everything. And as you look, it's all crumbling around him. The team sucks, and the league is starting to fall apart as well. They're playing games at junior colleges, small rinky-dink stadiums. And the ownership group that had brought Young in and given him this gaudy contract, by the end of the 1985 season, they're gone. The team was being run by the league. They had to seize ownership of it and manage all of the operations. So the USFL is crumbling and and crumbling at a very fast pace. And for a guy who was supposed to be a superstar, it's looking pretty bad. Now he's able to get a second chance. It's It's a redemption of sorts. Because what happened during this time, There's, yes, the NFL draft, your typical thing that's televised was in Philadelphia, big whoop. That event, as it was, it happened. But also, in 1984, they had the supplemental draft. And this gave opportunities to teams to draft players that were cherry-picked by the USFL. Or were, for whatever circumstance, not currently in the league or the typical draft. And so in 1984, while Steve Young did not become a Cincinnati Bengal, he did become a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. 
Yes, Steve Young was a buck in those cream uniforms that I actually like. I think they're a pretty good look. But Steve Young, as the USFL is falling apart and these dreams of being the big face of this new startup league, as they're falling apart, he takes this out with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They end up buying out part of his contract, and he's able to switch over. He does it at an interesting time because he's played the 85 season already with the USFL. It's a spring league. And as he finishes up and realizes it needs to jump ship, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are finishing preseason games. I mean, they've played maybe three preseason games by the time they finalize a contract with Steve Young, or, or maybe they've even played a week of the regular season. Like, they, they're well in it. And so Young makes the leap from one league to another. He gets a chance to reboot himself, to show people that he's not just some bust. He is this guy that was this Heisman star. Or not, doesn't go well in Tampa Bay because this is a really rough stretch for that organization. Frankly, they were directionless and they sucked. They had nothing going for them. The year that Steve Young is there, they're a 2-14 and team. He plays five games at the end of that season, goes 1-4, and four, totally not spectacular. Three touchdowns, eight interceptions, you can leave it. However, he does get a full-time starting gig with Tampa in 1986. They decide to roll the dice, which they should. They suck, and Steve Young is a premier quarterback talent. At the time, uh, the reason he was held back the year before, they had an older veteran on the team, and it delayed things a little bit. So Steve Young, in 1986, he gets his full season to really get a shot and show people what he can do and, and be something, not be a bust. And he goes 2-14. and 14. The Bucks literally gain no ground having Steve Young start for them an entire season in 1986. He throws eight touchdowns, 13 interceptions, but he does showcase something that catches the eye of a Mr. Bill Walsh. He runs 74 times for 425 yards and five touchdowns. Now, this ability to rush by Steve Young cannot be understated because it's something that, one, it's beneficial when teams are bad, but the defensive complexity that it requires for teams to pay attention to someone like this, it was it was very important for the Eagles in the Chip Kelly era. Oh, this running quarterback and the read option and the way that's evolved now. I mean, it's sort of the same thing all these years ago, you have to worry about that running threat, Steve Young escaping the pocket. And even though he was very raw at this time, it was still a very luxurious talent to have. And for Bill Walsh, he sees Steve Young in Tampa Bay and says, you know what, I'm going to make a move. And it's not a subtle one. As much as Steve Young struggled, he's now been out of college for four years. He's been nothing close to that Heisman candidate that you've seen. They end up giving a second round and a fourth round pick to bring Steve Young into San Francisco. And when you hear that, you think, okay, well, they make a pretty strong play. They're bringing in this guy with all this talent, and he's got a good pedigree and all this stuff. He's probably going to be the starter. No, not even a little bit. 
And it has to do with the statement that Bill Walsh says at the time the 49ers make the trade. He says, this move is not a reflection on Joe Montana. We fully expect Joe to continue as the leader and mainstay of our team. Leader and mainstay indeed. Because as I mentioned earlier, Joe Montana is establishing the greatest career that a quarterback has ever seen in the history of the NFL. You may not have the titles the way Otto Graham did back in the day, as I detailed in a previous episode, but he's he's a guy that is winning Super Bowls in a more higher competitive era. And the ability of him to pass and win and pass efficiently, it's he's just he's the greatest thing you've ever seen. And that discussion has continued uh, up until maybe the most recent Super Bowl that Tom Brady won in 2017. Steve Young's going to sit behind that guy. This is not a quarterback battle. This is nothing close to it. It's a curiosity from Bill Walsh. It's one he's willing to invest heavily in for a premier position. But no, 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 no. Steve Young is not getting a chance to start. In fact, he's going to get iced for a long time. Because they make that trade prior to the 1987 season. And then Joe Montana continues to start in 87. And in 88, he wins a Super Bowl. And in 89, what do you know? Joe Montana wins another Super Bowl. And in 1990, they get to a conference championship. And over this time... There's been a small change in regime, too. You know, one of the things with elite talent and with Brady, it's, it's been one of those conversations as well. Did the coach make the player? We always wonder about these scenarios. There's, there's so much of an interesting time element of time and place and the right place at the right time. Bill Walsh retires as a coach after the 88 season. So they win a Super Bowl the first year Bill Walsh is there. They go to a conference championship the year after they win that Super Bowl. And so you have George Seifert, who was a defensive coordinator for Bill Walsh, a guy who did not trade for Steve Young. He's the head coach of the team. Young is not his guy. But something unfortunate happens. In 1991, during training camp, Joe Montana gets injured. And it's an injury to his elbow, which when you hear this news as a Niner fan in 1991, you should be a little bit concerned because the history is not great here. First off, the tendon tears off the bone. It's not a minor tear. It's off. The other thing is Montana has a history of injuries. He had one in 1981, his rookie season. He had an elbow injury again in 1989. And Joe Montana, he's 35 years old when this happens in 1991. Another quarterback who had the same injury and ultimately had to retire at the age of 35, Terry Bradshaw. So you don't feel all that good about it as a 49ers fan, but... The doctors were positive when you look back at the articles written at that time. They say the prognosis at this point, 
and that is a very qualified prognosis, is that Joe should be able to be back in full stride, maybe even stronger next season than when he was reported to training camp. It's a bold claim. And it's bold in part because the doctors who manage the thing in the first place don't do a great job. That statement is issued in October. Meanwhile, Montana was injured in training camp. So they wait a good while before they decide to to have this surgery. And then finally in October, they're convinced that that's going to be the route to do it. They shut down Joe Montana officially, even though he doesn't end up playing a game for the 49ers this year prior anyway. Steve Young gets his shot. And here's the thing. All right, here's what you got to know when you're thinking about this. Joe Montana has been covering the team, leading the team, since Steve Young got there. Now that it's 1991 and Montana's injured, Steve Young is 30 years old when he's making his debut here. I mean, he had a couple of games before spot starts here and there with Montana being injured, but nothing serious. Now he's getting an extended stretch to start again, At 30 years old, he's been in San Francisco for like four years. He had those two years in Tampa, those two years in the USFL. He is very far removed from being this Heisman guy. It'd be like arguing Sam Bradford, he could still be that great player. It's not going to happen. And with Steve Young, you you just think because he's been on ice so long that he's a bust. It's over. He's a nobody. But here he is in 1991, and he gets his break due to that elbow injury. And for Young, he does a pretty good job. He doesn't set the world on fire, but he does a good job. He's 5-5. He completes 64.5% of his passes. He has 17 touchdowns to 8 interceptions. But here's the thing. As much as those numbers seem good, the record can be damning. And again, he was 5-5. It turns out that in a weird twist of fate, in in this moment where Steve Young can finally separate himself and establish this gift that he has, the year belongs to a different Steve on the 49ers, a Steve Bono. Steve Bono is a similar situation to Steve Young. He's a sixth-round pick. He's with the Minnesota Vikings for a couple of years. He's with the Pittsburgh Steelers for a few years. He's a career backup quarterback, and he's 29 years old to Young's 30. And when Young gets injured during the 1991 season, Bono takes over. So now the 49ers on their third-string quarterback go on a hot streak. They go 5-1 and one with Bono as the quarterback. He's only completing 60% of his passes. He's got, you know, not anywhere near the rushing production that, Steve's young, that Steve Young is giving you. But he's winning games. He's 5-1. and one. And so they finish the season 10-6, and six, and unfortunately it's not good enough for them to make the playoffs which is important to remember because Steve Young has led this team now for the majority of the season, and the 49ers are in the midst of being still one of the greatest dynasties that the NFL has seen. There's, it's not just Bill Walsh. 
at this time. You have Mike Holmgren is in there. Um, Mike Shanahan is a part of it. Gary Kubiak is a part of it. There's a lot of big names. Mike Zimmer. There's a lot of names that are still around in coaching circles. Guys that have had head coaching jobs and been successful and won Super Bowls. They're a part of the San Francisco 49ers. This is a well-oiled machine that's well-managed. They're not spending loosely on free agents, and they just do a phenomenal job. When they missed the playoffs here in 1991, even though they're 10-6, and it's a bit of a big deal. The last time the 49ers had not made the playoffs was 1982. The second year of Joe Montana's career. So it's been a long time. And to not get in there and not get into those playoffs, the one year that Montana sits out, you have to wonder as a fan. And then you see that this guy, Steve Bono, is 5-1. and one. And so going into the 1992 season, things would seem pretty bad for Steve Young. Or so you'd think. And that's the fun thing about this whole journey here. It's there, There's such an odd turn because remember that elbow injury and how confident the doctor was about Joe Montana's recovery? Oh, he was wrong. He was grossly wrong because not only was Montana not ready for training camp in 92, he didn't have that clean recovery from the surgery. He had to go and get two follow-up surgeries, removing scar tissue, and it delays his return and delays it again. And so Joe Montana is going into the 1992 season an afterthought. He may be around later in the year. He may not. Their expectations are incredibly low. And so Steve Young gets a shot again. He gets to be the starting quarterback. He wins the job over Bono, and man, it was the right pick. At age 31, after all of these ups and downs and constantly sitting behind Joe Montana as he establishes his legacy as the greatest quarterback to ever play, this window appears. And what do you know? Steve Young gets to pop into a wonderfully talented offense. Jerry Rice, Ricky Waters is on this team. And they're able to make a lot of noise in the NFL. Young is actually, he was injured the year before. He, he's healthy the whole 1992 season. And he's spectacular. They go 14-2 and two with... Steve Young getting all of these games to start, having the knowledge in the preseason that he's going to be the guy to start. They're the best offense in the league. They're averaging 27 points per game, and Young is doing it in an efficient manner. He's completing 66.7% of his passes. He throws 3,465 yards, 25 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. Oh, and by the way, on top of that, 537 yards and four rushing touchdowns. The guy is doing everything. He leads the best offense in the league. They make their way to the NFC Championship, led by an MVP in Steve Young. He wins the MVP in 1992. And so he gets this matchup. 
in the NFC Championship game against the Dallas Cowboys in 1992. And if you heard my previous episode about the Dallas Cowboys, you'll know that, one, this is a very good team, and two, they win the Super Bowl that year. You know, Emmitt Smith, Michael Irvin, uh, Jimmy Johnson, Troy Aikman, that's a really strong squad. And so they beat the Niners and do it at, at a reasonable score. They beat them 30-20. to 20. But all the same, if you're Steve Young, you would feel pretty good in this situation. I mean, all of these down years of struggling and then sitting and waiting and then maybe losing your job to this dark horse out of nowhere Bono guy. And now you're the MVP. But there's an interesting wrinkle here in the 92 season. It's that Joe Montana does return. He plays the last game of the season against the Detroit Lions. What happens is Young starts the game, and it's a meaningless game for the 49ers. There are actually questions of, in the questions that we have today of, should you bench your starters in a game that has no significance on playoff seating? They had that debate. Well, they decided to start Steve Young in the first half of the game, and Joe Montana, who has not played football in two years, plays the second half of the game. And he does a pretty good job. He's 15 for 21, 126 yards and two touchdowns. And he's Joe freaking Montana. So he's sitting there. He's on the sidelines as the 49ers are going through the playoffs, and they still keep Steve Young out there. Now, going into 1993, it gets weird. And, And this is the problem that comes from being under the greatest quarterback of all time, this dark, looming shadow that you cannot escape. The fans love Joe Montana. They've seen him win four Super Bowls. They've seen him be a three-time Super Bowl MVP. They've seen him just consistently leading the team to the playoffs. He's been everything they want and more. He's Joe Cool, the greatest to ever play. And he's always been their guy. And now he's back. And he looks okay. And yes, this young kid, who's been kind of a bust for most of his career, he had that really good season. But come on, we're starting the 93 season, and and Joe Montana, even though he's 37, he's Joe Montana, and he should be the starter. That's how a lot of fans felt. You also had an owner in Eddie DiBartolo Jr., who felt the same way. See, there was a crazy conflict that goes on here in this summer of 93, where George Seifert, who's been the head coach now and won a Super Bowl, not just some patsy that fills in for Bill Walsh, has a hell of a career. I think his worst record with the Niners is 10-6. and six. He's pushing Steve Young as the starter, says, this is our guy, he's going to keep the job. Eddie DiBartolo in part due to his self-love for Joe Montana, along with the public pressure and history and all these things, benching a legend, wants nothing to do with that. And he says, no, 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 no. Flies Joe Montana in for a private meeting, they speak, and he comes up with the idea that Joe Montana will be the designated starter which basically was saying that they'll compete for the job in camp. 
Thing is, Joe Montana wants nothing to do with competing for the job in camp because he's Joe Montana. He will not settle for being a backup quarterback on the San Francisco 49ers. Not going to happen. And ultimately, the Niners make a very difficult decision. First, they shop Steve Young. And then, they trade Joe Montana to the Kansas City Chiefs. And finally, at 33 years old, Steve Young finally has his own football team that's competent. He's had time to develop his skills with all these coaches. Everything is coming together at just the right time. And he continues to take off. In the 1993 season, 68% completions. Wow. On 462 attempts. He's not dinking and dunking his way either. He's averaging 8.7 yards an attempt. That's one of the best marks you'll see in a regular season. And so he's wildly successful. Now that he's got this shadow removed, the team is finally his to command, and and he does it masterfully. He does it in the way you would expect a guy that now has that legend of being Steve Young. They are one of the best offenses in the league again. They end up, even though they're 10-6, and six, they end up going to the NFC Championship game Yet again. And they lose to Dallas. Again. 38-21. to 21. Worse than the last time. So it's a high and low here. You know, it's, it's so frustrating for Steve Young. It must have been. Because the big shadow is Montana. And it's still there. It's not like... The, The one thing is that he's at least not on the roster anymore. There's not this looming, well, he could come back at any week. I could lose my job any day. That's resolved. But there's also still the stink of he's not Joe Montana, and Joe Montana is still playing in the league. So he's got to live up to all of that, and, and that's a big problem for him. But you also have this dynasty in Dallas that you, you just can't beat. They're such a well-built team. Again, they used that trade draft chart all those years ago in the Herschel Walker trade to just build a monstrously powerful team. And so even when things are finally going good, he just keeps hitting the glass ceiling. And then there's 1994. 1994 is, it's a masterpiece. I mean, really, if you're looking back in some of the greatest seasons that a quarterback has ever had, you know, all, all the wins, what they accomplished, how they ran the team, the personal significance, I don't know if you can find a story greater than what Steve Young did in the 1994 season. He is the truth. What happens in 1994? Well, the story starts, actually, in Candlestick Park, where the Niners play, against the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. The 49ers, 3-1, and 
are playing an Eagles team that's two and one, led by, led by Rich Kotite, and they get absolutely embarrassed at home by the Eagles. It's not a close one. This isn't like they scored a lot of points early and it's a moral victory kind of thing. They lose to the Eagles at home 40-8. to Steve Young even gets benched in the game at one point. He criticizes George Seifert, the head coach, constantly in the press over that move during the week. It worked out fine. Because when you see what happens from that moment, that small explosion in week five of the regular season, the 49ers take off. They win 10 straight games on track to what would be a 13-3 and season. And they continue to do the things that Steve Young has been doing. They're the highest scoring offense in the league. They're second in yards. They're first in touchdowns, and that's something that we'll get into later with the the ability of Steve Young to consistently lead in so many individual categories. He does it yet again in 1994. And so with a 13-3 and team as an absolute force to be reckoned with. Starts with the Chicago Bears, who they play in the divisional round. 44-15 is the final. It's not even close. Never is, never was, never was going to be. Absolutely demolish and embarrass the Bears. But then, of all teams, you have to get the Dallas Cowboys yet again in the conference championship. The team that beat Steve Young in that first year when he finally broke out. Had his chance to show himself, wins an MVP. They smack him right back down. They win 30-20 to 20 in that championship game. Then they get him the next year and beat him again. This time, 38-21. to 21. So that big bad villain, that monkey on the back, it's still there. It's staring him right in the face. And it's a hard-fought game. The NFC Championship in 1994 is known for one interesting and crucial play. And it actually involves a guy who you would normally associate with the Dallas Cowboys. But it's Deion Sanders, San Francisco 49er. Yes, he was a 49er for one year before he became a Dallas Cowboy. And what happened is, it's late in the game. There's maybe six and a half minutes left. And the 49ers are leading. And Dallas, who struggled early in the game, they were down 21 nothing at one point. They're starting to fight their way back. It's 38-28, second and 10. And it's in 49er territory. So Troy Aikman gets the ball, he drops back, and he knows who he's going to. It's the guy that's been so reliable for him for these years, has won Super Bowls for him. He's going to Michael Irvin, and he goes deep down the sideline, and he's right there to Irvin, maybe within five yards of the end zone. But Deion Sanders is there, and he's covering Irvin, and he extends his arm to prevent Irvin from catching the ball. It falls flat. Barry Switzer loses his mind. He says, that should have been a pass interference. Half the Dallas Cowboys bench is yelling out, they're on the field, that it should be a pass interference call. No call. 
Well, actually, there is a call. It's a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty that's called against Coach Barry Switzer of the Dallas Cowboys. They move back 15 yards. It becomes now a third and 25. They can't convert it. They turn the ball over. San Francisco runs out the clock. Steve Young has beaten the rival. So many years in the making. He finally gets the chance to beat Dallas and advance to a Super Bowl. The job's not done, though. And you know Steve Young's not taking it lightly. I mean, Young has been through so much stress, so much trial. There's been burdens weighing him down his whole career. This is only the second season that he's been the true starter in his entire career without Montana breathing over him. And he hasn't validated himself yet. An MVP does not make you Joe Montana. That does not validate trading away Joe Montana, who is still in the league in 94, again, and playing with the Chiefs. Steve Young needs to prove himself. And there's a quote from him before the Super Bowl that shows you the pressure that he has. We've been the overdogs in a number of games this year. We're risking everything. If we lose, absolute train wreck. And he's right. He'd won the MVP, and there were still thoughts, and and five years younger than Montana, there were still a large contingent, including the owner, who was interested in seeing Montana hold on to that job. There's a lot to lose here. And MVP didn't validate him to this point. So now there's the Super Bowl. And when Young describes the team as being overdogs, it was the case. Um, They were heavily favored in the Super Bowl. And this was Super Bowl 29, by the way, against the San Diego Chargers. They were favored by something like 19 and a half points. It's the most that any Super Bowl has ever been favored by. Steve Young came to play. In the first minute 24 of the Super Bowl, they score a touchdown. 44-yard pass to Jerry Rice. Fastest that a Super Bowl had ever seen. How's he follow that up? In a minute 53, the second drive that San Fran runs... It's another touchdown. They go 79 yards this time. And once they start scoring, they can't stop. They end up, Steve Young, in this game, six touchdowns against San Diego. There was a point where there was pity play. You know, they're running the ball all the time. Young was benched for a stretch of the game. He was benched in the Super Bowl. Absolute uncontained dominance. They won 49-26. to Young also rushed five times for 49 yards. He was the leading rusher in his Super Bowl. 24 for 36 through the air, 325 yards against six touchdowns, no interceptions. Game MVP. Monkey off his back. He's finally done it. 
So many years in the making. All of that time when he was back at Yale and the USFL and Tampa Bay and sitting on the bench and being this nobody, being this guy who felt it within himself. He could be someone great if only he had the chance. And now he's finally done it. And it's an exhausting, emotional moment for Steve Young. He hugs the Super Bowl trophy. And instead of the coach giving the speech, Steve Young does. And he yells out, No one, no one can ever take this away from us. No one ever. It's ours. You think he enjoyed it? Finally getting out of that shadow that's been hanging over him for all these years. Winning the Super Bowl, being the MVP, giving the best performance that had been given in a Super Bowl. I think it validated him. And I think Steve felt that he was validated as well. And it's crazy the amount of stress and exhaustion that this exerted on him to win this Super Bowl. Like, you, you can't believe it. I, I can't imagine. After the fact that he wins this Super Bowl, where he's characterized as, first off, talking to everybody after the game. Any person in the press he can talk to. Because he is so damn excited. And you know what? He should be. He's in the, he's in the limo, going home to the hotel. And he pukes. On his agent. And then he says, oh, I'll be all fine. I'll be fine. I just need some fresh air. And he walks back to the hotel, maybe a half mile. And then he gets back to his room, and he gets sicker and sicker and sicker. Turns out he's dehydrated. They have to call a paramedic to link him up. He gave everything he had that season, that game, and he finally validated the great player that he was and would continue to be. A Hall of Famer. See, it's amazing when you look back at his career, the things that he led the league in during his short stretch, relatively speaking, as a starting quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he takes the job in 1992. He ends up playing, realistically, his last year is 1998, where he, he plays 15 games in that season. So it's, it's not many years. But he's so exceptional in this burst. I mean, he leads the league in the passer rating six times. He leads in passing touchdowns four times. Completion percentage. Not only does he lead the league five times, but he's 11th all time. Even with those crappy years in Tampa Bay and those spot starts that he had when he was occasionally filling in for Montana, 64.3% 11th all time. Yards and attempt. Five times he leads the league. He's fourth all time. And the only quarterbacks that are ahead of him when it comes to yards and attempt, they all played their last game by 1960. Otto Graham, Sid Luckman, Norm Van Brocklin, and then Young. Eight yards and attempt. The guy was absolutely phenomenal. 
He ended up winning two MVPs. He had the Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP. He goes down as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And, and it's not just because of and all those things are with the arm. You have to consider the rushing stuff, too. Steve Young ends his career rushing 43 touchdowns, 4,239 yards on the ground. He was nothing short of incredible. He is perhaps the greatest dual threat quarterback to ever play the game. And if you checked in on his career when he was 30 years old, he was a bust living under the shadow of Joe Montana. And it's a truly incredible story, and and I hope you've enjoyed it here on Upon Further Review, where, again, I'm Vince Quinn, your host, and you can find me at It's Vince Quinn on Twitter. Feedback is always appreciated. Also, Stitcher, iTunes. um, I think if you get a solo cup and attach it to a string, you can listen to the show. SoundCloud, we're everywhere. Comments are appreciated there, and I do my best to find them and read them. You can also let me know on Twitter. Yeah, it's it's a crazy, ridiculous story. I mean, going into this, I'm thinking, oh, Steve Young was a Buccaneer? Huh, that's something. But, man, he was so much more than a guy who, who happened to be traded and have a rough stretch with Tampa Bay. I mean, he, he just dealt with so much through his career, and... So many doubts and obstacles. And to be able to perform at the level that he did, to have the perseverance and the confidence to get there and be that successful, it's something special that Steve Young did in his time in the NFL. And and I'm appreciative of that, and I I hope you are as well. So uh, this has been Upon Further Review. Make sure you check out the other episodes of the show if you haven't already. Also, we do weekly Eagle shows all the time, BGN Radio. Make sure you check us out, BGN underscore radio on Twitter, and you can find us on BGNRadio.com. I'm Vince Quinn. Again, thanks for listening to the show, and I'll see you next time on Upon Further Review.